Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wealthy Expat. This week I've got Alex from Beanstock, who's the CEO and co-founder of Beanstock, joining me on the show. How are you, Alex? I'm amazing today. Thank you so much for giving this opportunity to talk. No, no problem at all. It's great to have you on the show and really looking forward to diving into how you work at Beanstock, how, uh, how the idea came about, uh, and then talking yeah. a bit about the, the French market. And I think it'll be good for our for our audience in the UK or, or in Australia to, to understand what is happening from an international perspective and um, yeah, deep dive into to what's been happening. But to start off with, how have things been in, in France post pandemic, you could say, now that, now that we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, is it back to normal in France? Well, uh, we still have this sanitary pass that you, you still need to use everywhere you go. So you, you'd get right. in a store, you'd get in at the restaurant. Uh, yeah, I was in the UK two weeks ago, and I remember being super surprised by how uh, well how normal life is back to. Um, yeah. we, we, we're not there yet, but we're kind of close. So 95% okay. normal. Say. That's good. You're you on the vaccinated. Way. Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah, at least you're on, on the right track. I think the UK is quite lucky now in the sense that it feels very normal. You get on the train and your sardines again, you're all huddled up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the main difference there, and, and Australia has some very uh, deep issues with that as well, is that in the UK, most people have chosen to get vaccinated without being forced to, as opposed to France, where if you wanted to reach these kind of levels, you'd, you'd have to, to put some pressure on the population, right. which they that did, which has worked. Oh, that's good. At least uh, you're almost there. You're almost there. Back to freedom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we're getting there. Well, that's good. Um, to start off with, it would be good to hear your perspective on how the idea of Beanstock came about, how you decided or why you decided to start the business uh, and understand about Beanstock a little bit more, if you don't mind explaining. Yeah. So uh, Beanstock was born just because of my personal experience, really. Um, I was 25 years old when I started. So I had this crazy adventure where every time I started a new job, I just quit after three to four months. And I started having this little voice in my head saying, Alex, you should be careful with your next job because that might be the last one. Uh, yeah. And um, we so after six months, my probatory period was was ending and I was thinking, OK, just in case something bad happens with this job again, uh, just buy a property, just get a mortgage. So yeah. I started um, uh, I started investing very early uh, and I got very, very fond of it. Uh, so I was uh, really excited when I see the first rent on my bank account, really exciting. Yep. And yep. I decided to repeat that operations as many times as possible. Uh, so that's basically how it started. And now right. the real reason why I created Beanstalk was because I had so many friends and family members and friends of friends and then people yeah. I had no idea even existed starting asking me questions about how to achieve what I had achieved in France in Paris really um, okay. and, and that, that's it really and Beanstalk is exactly okay. that's a way for, for retail investors to invest easily in, in real estate uh, yeah. by investments in France. Okay that's interesting it's uh, I did I've had a bit of a play around on your website and especially with the numbers and the cash flow that you put on your uh, yeah. on each property listing that's listed on your website. Yeah. And for people listening, if you want to go check it out, by all means, uh, have a bit of a play around with it. But you can really change every single number and, and you know, see different returns and different change the expectations and, and keep your expectations realistic, I think, at the same time, which is more important exactly. than, uh, than being, you know, you see this golden ticket and you think that's an awesome opportunity, but sometimes it's better exactly. to be a bit more conservative. I think, and, and you've done it well in the way that it's very transparent. Um, so that's that's good to see. 
Um, and when you come to when you come to picking properties that you put on your platform, uh, how do you work out that process? Do people approach you and say, "Can you list our property?" Or do you have a kind of an investment um, standard that you follow? So you're looking for things, you know, certain criteria such as employment or population growth or infrastructure. Um, but how do you pick them? So very good question. I think the that, that's one of the keys uh, that uh, for, for our current success, but that's also one of the things that might change in the future. Uh, right now, the way we work is we have some criteria that we base our selection on and we, we really want to make sure we have the kind of projects that people are looking for. But in the end, that's always the same question with marketplaces, whether you want to answer the, the immediate needs from your customers that you currently have, or do you want to start putting things in a different perspective and help uh, to your, your users uh, see things differently. Do you want to educate yeah. them or do you just want to give them what they want? So okay. right now we just want to give them what they want uh, yeah. and we of are course. focusing on high yield, low budget properties yeah. um, everywhere in France based on uh, our expectations of rents uh, everywhere. So we only go where we know the rents. Yeah, <laughs> That's very key development. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. You've done the research into it. That's good. That's interesting exactly. to know. And, and are they mainly apartments as well in inner city locations or also houses mm -hmm. in rural? No, no, yeah. no. So in, in France, the, the single family rental market doesn't really exist. Okay. Um, so that's not really a thing to buy a house, a whole house. Uh, most people wouldn't have even the, the budget for this. And okay. you don't, I know in the UK, it can be more classic to invest in this kind of properties or in the US, but in France, yeah. it's not even. It's not. Interesting. So most people invest in flats. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That's good. That's interesting to know. I actually was reading uh, some stuff before or prior to this podcast today. Um, and I was reading up on some numbers from the last 12 months. And uh, there was an interesting number that stood out to me from, from Parisians, the people who live yeah. in, in Paris, that I think it's 47% of them said that they feel they could have had a better lifestyle outside of France during the pandemic. Oh, sorry, outside of Paris. Outside of Paris, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I guess, in, that's an incredible number for almost 50% of the population. Is it, is it just Paris, really? I think um, most big cities have these kind of issues where the prices of real estate have gone so high that most people yeah. can't afford to live, have a garden, have uh, even a balcony or anything that could give them some air. So obviously, during yeah. a lockdown, uh, as strong as we had last year, um, it's very clear that... Well, I don't know anyone who was happy not to have a balcony. So the real question is um, to what extent will people move forward with this new perspective? Uh, yeah, it's is true. It really going to change anything. Uh, remote work. Yes. Okay. But just now things are going, getting back to normal. Even when you have now having one day of remote work is, is already a, a big thing, uh, which yeah. means you need to be in the office four days a week. Does that mean you can live outside of Paris? I don't think so. No. So you make it more difficult. Uh, yeah. I think it's yeah, like you're saying, it's there's the flow-on effects from people moving outside of these central locations or these capital cities, and and from an economic exactly. perspective on on places like France or well, well anywhere in the world really, it's going to have yeah, a flow-on effect to the workforce um, and exactly. and the, the way. I, I guess uh, cities like London and Paris have uh, bigger issues with the fact that they're very far from nature. <laughs> Yeah, true. Uh, they're very far from the sea, very far from mountains. So people start looking at a way to combine what they see as uh, holidays and their professional life. They want to combine both every day. They, they see themselves at the beach every day. Um, yeah. 
Is that yeah. going to happen? I don't know, but uh, I think there's an opportunity to invest in uh, coastal uh, cities for yeah, sure. It's true. Um, is it's that going to kill London and Paris? I'm not so sure either. No, exactly. I think I think people will be seeking that second home in a sense. They've they've managed exactly. to to have yeah. their main residency and then somewhere that they can escape exactly. to. And I think in the UK Thank now, you. it's it's one in fifteen people have a, a second home in the UK. And uh, yeah. I think yeah. Paris is. I've, I've, from memory i think paris is about one in ten people have a second home so it's yeah, yeah, even no. you know at the moment it's it's already uh, incredible numbers but it's um but now now i see governments discussing new legislation to limit secondary homes because they can see how it's it's increasing prices in very small cities where people don't have the means that parisians have yeah um, so there's always going to be some trends uh, question will uh, being again for me to what extent this is going to last yeah, uh, we are already seeing some uh, decrease in this trend. Uh, so, well, it's, it's, it's still strong, but it's, it's decreasing. Yeah, and it's I think, uh, yeah, the, the kind of uh, increase in prices that we've seen over the past few months are not going to be seen again. That's what yeah, I think. that's interesting. It's a, uh, it's yeah, it's interesting. I think it's going to be an interesting twelve months, seeing how it does the next yeah. twelve months. How things yeah. shape. Obviously, I think most capital, large capital cities that are recognised from a global perspective have performed well. London's performed very well. Paris uh, has performed well over yeah. strong over the last twelve months. Uh, Sydney, for example, in Australia, that's seen about twenty two percent price growth in the last 12 wow. months yeah massive wow. numbers massive numbers so um, uh, Sydney, I, Sydney is a different kind of cities again because they have uh, they have the sea they have everything that you'd look for and they're a coastal city so I think that's one of the reasons why cities I, I'm also looking a lot at the, the Israeli markets and uh, okay. Tel Aviv has the same kind of situations uh, and the reason for that being that even if you're in a small apartment you're still 10 minutes away from the sea that's true so it's very true. Do you want to leave that? No, I don't think. But for Paris and London, that's a big frustration. You you are you are actually spending your weekends in a city. Yeah. And most people want to see their weekends outside of, of town. And yeah, exactly. It's it's funny speaking to people that live in these environments. So we live, we've lived in, in Paris, well, you've lived in Paris and I've lived in London. Yeah. And we've been in the yeah. city for so long. And to people from outside of capital cities, I think that's awesome. They get to live in the city. It's you know, there's always something yeah. happening, and you get to a point yeah. where you're thinking, Oh, it'd be nice to to escape to the countryside or, or escape exactly. to the beach. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's needing that change. But how has the, the French market actually been performing? over the, the last 12 months. Are there any, um, I guess, key standout yeah. statistics that are worth noting? Yeah. So the, the overall market has increased by close to 10% in terms of prices. Uh, and But this increase for the first time in history, I believe, is yeah. for the first time led yeah. by uh, well cities outside of Paris. Uh, usually Paris Thanks. was the locomotive uh, taking every time, everyone with them. Uh, so we were, so Paris was the, the by far the leading region of investments and, and increasing property prices. Now it's exactly the opposite. We're seeing very small cities uh, going through the roof in terms of, of prices, prices that don't make any sense for people living in, this, in these cities. And this, this, uh, pri this price increase is mostly driven by Parisians moving to new cities. Okay. Um, so Paris has been quite flat for the past 12 months. Uh, yeah. And I think this, most people are seeing that as proof that as evidence that Paris is kind of dead, but the truth is prices are so high yeah. and they're sustained super high. Like I was expecting the, the price to go down quite substantially and, and, and it's actually sustained at a very high level. Right. So 
Yeah, uh, it's, it's still super expensive. Most people can't afford to live in Paris despite the, 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 the pandemic. So, and I so, believe that despite all people say, if you had the same prices in France, uh, in, in, uh, in the rest of Paris as you have in Paris, most people will live in Paris. Really? It's an issue of price. So, yeah, yeah. I, you, that's yeah. where things are happening. That's where you create wealth. Uh, most young people especially want to live. So yeah, one interesting yeah. thing, they had yeah. these uh, statistics, uh, so close to 80% of people below 40 want to live in Paris. Most wow. people above 40 want to live outside of Paris. That's, that's uh, incredible. That's kind of, yeah, I think that's the way it should be, really. You don't live yeah. in Paris forever. I don't, I don't, but, but you don't want uh, young people to live outside of Paris either. Yeah, missing out yeah exactly. Where's, um, where would be kind of the next most popular spot in France, actually, at the moment? Would it be places like Bordeaux and Toulouse and uh, uh, so the, Nantes? There's actually, a, yeah, there's a, there's a city that is getting very, very popular. And, and in terms of prices, it's, it's getting close to Paris. It's Lyon. Right. Okay. Yeah. Lyon is, uh, is kind of our Manchester, you know? Yeah. Uh, so very, very attractive city, very young city, very close. But still has the same issues as Paris. Huh? But you still have a very dynamic market there. You have startups, you have uh, okay. a lot of companies. Bordeaux is, is increasing only because you have the train uh, now that's going to take you to Bordeaux from Paris in two hours. So okay. most Parisians have got a secondary city there. It's a Parisian city, it's a very Parisian suburb. Yeah, most yeah. people they they, yeah. they don't ask the question where do you come from. They ask the question when did you arrive. That's really yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, it's, that's it's funny how it's shaping up. But that's uh, that's interesting to note that Leon's Leon's kind of the the next yeah. hub you could say. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting to know. How about the south of France? Actually, I guess it's you know known for its its history and tourism or the tourist spot yeah. you could say of of the French coastline. But has that been performing well yeah. as well? Yeah, so it's been one of the regions where prices have increased the most uh, yeah. over the last 12 months. Uh, and this has also been driven by demand from outside of France. Uh, it's always been like that, but I think it's getting more and more popular. Actually, in, in terms of buy-to-let investments, uh, the south of France is, the se is second to, to the, the Paris uh, region uh, in terms of okay. uh, number of transactions and volume of deals. And reason, but here the main difference is that this this market of buy to let investments in South of France is mostly driven by foreigners, okay. whereas Paris is driven by French people. Right. So you have a lot of UK people actually buying in the South of France to do buy to let. Imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. It was always uh, my mother's dream to move to the yeah. South of France <laughs> and you know buy a little apartment or a little cottage and, yeah. and live with the, the French yeah. lifestyle. I guess like uh, wow. three quarters of the if UK or. Chefs, she has two million now. Uh, very easy. Very easy. easy. There's nothing. <laughs> she can keep dreaming. <laughs> um, that's interesting. That's uh, some good, some good things to to know. And I think from a from an international perspective, it's good to get feedback on on how these countries are evolving as well. Countries that, for myself, I have very little experience in the French market, so it's good to understand uh, at a, a slightly deeper level how things have been been going. In terms of your platform and what you've created at Beanstalk, is there any competitors that are making a similar product or have created a kind of the, the prop tech uh, platform that you've created as well? So you have people looking to help uh, investors find properties to invest in. Um, do, do you have any marketplaces? No. Uh, yeah. So no one works the way we do. And we, we are actually not looking at competitors uh, when good. we look at the French market. Uh, we, 
we know for sure that the, the market is enormous and that only a very small share of it is, to, is already covered. So we are yeah. not even it. That's good. That's, uh, I guess, the first, first in line, you could say. Uh, you're in a good position. And it's uh, like I said at the start, I think it's a very impressive platform nonetheless. Um, but yeah, how, how, is the, how has the French market kind of responded to the platform that you've created? Have you had a lot of, uh, is you know, most of your interest and in, in most of your clients in France? Or are they coming from, you know, the UK or even Germany, Portugal, Spain yeah. and the likes? But where, where, where would you say it's most popular at the moment? So um, more than 80% of our users, uh, of our investors are from Paris. Specifically, Paris, and they buy anywhere in France, but they specifically from Paris. Ten percent of our users are from outside of Paris, but still French, and the other ten percent are living mostly in London or in Switzerland. Okay, so uh, yeah. that's interesting. And is there any reasoning behind people from Switzerland or, or the UK purchasing properties in France, or is it just from a diversification perspective they're trying to buy property in different locations? Mm. Uh, so most of them either are French or have a French uh, connection somehow. They, they, they've heard, they've read a lot about the French markets. They always know a lot of, of, about France before they, they join. When I say a lot, you know, I'm not saying that they know how taxation works. I'm saying that they, they understand that the, the Parisian market is, is strong, that you, it's quite easy to find a tenant, uh, that you can find... A, for instance, uh, you can find fixed rates in, in um, uh, mortgage uh, for more than 20, 25 years. So fixed, this fixed rate thing in France is very big. It's one of the reasons okay. why the, the market is so huge. Um, yeah. you, as opposed to most markets, I think in the UK or in the US, it's very hard to find a fixed rate for, for, more, for more than five years. Yeah. In France, it's not even a question. You don't, you're not authorized to, to have uh, an interest on the... Or, anything really? that's not fixed yeah okay it's not even that's, allowed so i actually saw there was an article i saw last week i think about changes that are coming for the the borrowing system i think and is it am i right in saying that from next january you can yeah. only have a, a mortgage that spans out maximum 25 years is that correct I so yes it it's absolutely correct uh yeah. it's but yeah. it's it's it, they, they, it sounds like a big announcement, but in reality, most people are, were already below 25 years. Uh, okay. it's, it's very uncommon to borrow for more than 25 years. And right. if you do buy to let, it's actually 20 years that you'd be looking okay. at. But okay. again, you can very easily convince your bank to not to follow this rule. So uh, Okay, uh, a lot of blurred that's, lines. That's, <laughs> exactly, and that's always about the blurred lines, exactly. Uh, yeah. How do you navigate this, this market? And that's one of the rules we have now. Uh, how do you uh, make the most of the insight that we have about the market and the banking system to yeah. uh, increase the, the chance of getting, a, a be getting better conditions for your okay. mortgage? That's a, a good point. I think, well, I was going to, my next question was going to be, will that affect the, the French market? But it sounds like it's kind of been, you know, in the background, you could say for a while now that it's, uh, you guys yeah. are used to it. You, you, know, you yeah. know what's going to come. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of it that is already factored in by the market. So they're, they're making big, big announcements every day about, okay, so now it's going to be 20 years or 25 years if it's a property you're going to live in. Uh, it's 35% maximum of um, uh, indebted, indebted rates. I don't know how to call it. Yep. So uh, the mortgage rates uh, mortgage you can rate. have. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 35 percent maximum. But the truth is, if you look at the numbers, it's already very close to 35, and it's already below 25. So okay. um, the market has already factored in these changes because we've been hearing about them for the last two years, and sure. the market is still very dynamic. Very, okay. very. It's it's never been as dynamic as as currently is. By the That's way. good. It's uh, yeah. it's it's good hearing uh, the perspective of someone on the ground that has experience in it, and then uh, comparing it to the headlines. Because I think, uh, yeah. like we've seen over the last twelve months with everything going on around the world, that the media like to blow some things up. And and in this instance, I think that's something. Uh, it yeah. was almost a, a scare headline, you could say. Yeah. Uh, but it, I think it'll be okay now. Um, I guess my next question, and then leading on to kind of one of my last questions, would be around how you think the real estate sector. Uh, will evolve as technology and innovation continues to advance. I guess we both work in, in prop tech businesses and uh, you've adapted the technology aspect to your business quite well. And, and well at Wealth, we've done very much the same. But how do you think that your general high street, you know, someone, uh, a real estate agency on the street or uh, the, the general typical real estate agencies that you see, how do you think technology and innovation might shape the real estate world? The first thing is, uh, I believe uh, that's my opinion only, huh? but my feeling yeah. is that one of the inefficiencies of this market is that you have so many steps in the transaction that you have many reasons not to go through with your project, first problem. And yep. second issue is that you have to reward financially a lot of people for the work they do for you. You have a lot of brokers uh, on the way. And that's part of the inefficiency of this market that adds a lot to the cost of capital of actually buying a property. When you say cost of capital, most people think about the interest they're gonna pay on their, on their uh, mortgage, but they forget about all these fees that they pay to all these people. Yeah. And that's where I believe technology can help um, uh, streamline this market, make, make it make more sense uh, for the final buyer. And, uh, yeah, I believe uh, that that's gonna that's gonna be the, the yeah the main. I completely agree. Yeah, I think that's a very good way of pointing it. I think that at the moment with your general process, there's so many steps to the process that for a first home buyer or uh, or someone that's that hasn't hasn't been through the process that many times, it can be overwhelming and it can be be stressful as well. Especially when you you know you walk into another meeting and you're told there's another two thousand euro fee or two thousand pound fee and and you've got your solicitors exactly. fees, your conveyancing costs, transfer of title, and, and exactly. before you know it, exactly. it's uh, it's blown up and, and you weren't exactly. expecting all these costs. But I think uh, and that, that's a good point. You want you you, you the, there are the two different the, the two issues. One is that you have all these costs, and the second one is that you were not even aware most of the time. It's yeah. just bad surprise after bad surprise, and it gets very annoying. Exactly. Exactly. I, I completely agree. And I think it's it's all about being transparent in a sense. And I think that a lot of exactly. businesses like ourselves are trying to be as yeah. transparent as possible when it comes exactly. to, to helping our clients. And and like you see on your site, uh, you, or for people listening that, that check out Beanstalk, you'll be able to see that you can really see all the fees and costs and, and play around with the numbers that are on there as well to give you a good idea and and much the same with wealthy as well but it's uh i think it's going to be an interesting next 5 10 15 years to see how this industry does evolve and i can remember having chats with uh, old bosses about 5 years ago about how the real estate sector might change and and they were saying things like one day it'll be robots doing our job and i don't think we'll quite oh. get to that stage <laughs> touch wood no, no, no. um uh, no. but, well, not, but the, not that it's definitely no you need that you need that human interaction but it's um i think the way in which uh, technology is evolving and shaping, especially for the real estate sector, is, is really going to help 
the process, I think, uh, make the process better and more efficient and, and easier. And I'm a, a big believer that sometimes people put it in the the too hard basket when it comes to property investing. In a sense, they 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 don't get their head around it completely, and and they try and put it in the put it in the bin for twelve months, eighteen months, whatever it may be, uh, and come back to it later on in the process in the in their life. But I think with companies like ourselves, you can really help get these people on the ladder a lot quicker than uh, than, okay. they, uh, than they intend. So my last question, and this is a question that I ask all my guests that come on the show, and this can be anything, very, very oh. general, very general question, but what does a wealthy life mean to you? You didn't share with this question with me ahead of this uh, podcast. <laughs> you should have. Um, it's on the bottom. Wealthy life, wow. <laughs> Um, I think it's uh, anything I say now I'm going to regret it because I'm going to say oh man I should, I, should, I should have said that instead or I did that or, so I'm just going to say what comes now to my yep, mind uh, I would say a healthy life is a life where you have time for everything that's not your professional life yep. and a life where you are extremely satisfied with your professional life oh, that's good. what I call being wealthy yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I completely agree. And I think it's having that work-life balance. You've got to have the work-life balance. Otherwise, exactly. it's, exactly. it's uh, you turn into a constant, the, the corporate uh, kind of spiral, you could say. But it's, uh, but you, you also have the, the, the extreme opposite that I don't like. Uh, people saying that to them, the, uh, the only important thing is family and time they spend with their friends. And they, they seem to forget how rewarding uh, and self-rewarding it can be for life to be professionally uh, successful. That's true. Um, That's true. I strongly believe in that as well. You need to be you proud to, of yourself. Yeah, stay motivated and stay uh, persistent exactly. with what yeah. you're doing. It's uh, the hard yards are always worth putting in. Uh, and uh, yeah, you'll get to where you need to, to be at the end of the day. As long as you put in the work, you keep the motivation there. I completely agree. That's a good point. <laughs> Well, Alex, it's been a pleasure to get you on the show today. I've really appreciated talking to you uh, and great to, to hear about Beanstalk and, and the market in France and, and what's been happening in terms of trends in the market. So it's been really good to, to get you on the show and we'll have to we'll have to catch up in hopefully in Paris or, or London next time Definitely. you're here or I'm there. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up and go for lunch. But once again, awesome okay. to have you on and thank you very, very much, Alex. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris.